Welcome to the inaugural live edition of Health Unabashed on Healthcare Now Radio, a show that unapologetically explores promising innovations and associated best practices to enable the transformation of our sick care system into one that embraces and promotes the health and well-being of people both domestically and around the globe. Hosted by digital health advocate, influencer, and author Gil Bash, the show looks at the thought-provoking ideas, people, and companies who are making a difference. I'm your co-host and producer, Greg Masters, and with Gil, we'll explore the opinions and insights of our guests on how to connect the dots to create sustainable change. Learn more about the show on the program page at healthcarenowradio.com. And now let's hear from Gil on what's in store for today's episode. Welcome, everyone. It's a pleasure to welcome back into conversation Dr. Yele Aluko, who is the Chief Medical Officer of Ernst & Young. I've had the pleasure of speaking with Yele a number of occasions. We had an incredible exchange on Pharmacy Podcast Network. We were talking about racial disparities. We went on at another time to talk a little bit about health disparities. I always enjoy our conversations. Now, I'm very, very concerned right now about the fact that our society, for some reason, grasps the import of something so critical to public health and then moves away from it. And I just wanted to get your impression as a clinician, as a cardiologist, now as the national leader at Ernst & Young, you're a voice of dealing with these public health issues. Am, am I just oversensitive to the fact that I don't feel enough is happening or, or do you feel that as well, Yale? Uh, first of all, Gail, thank you for having me again um, to have a conversation with you. I always enjoy these insightful conversations. So to answer your question, I share your concern. And why do I say that? <clears throat> I say that because I have been involved in these conversations around health disparities for more than two decades. And in those 25 plus years, we continue as up until now to have failed in moving the needle in a corrective direction to eliminate health disparities. Over the past 25 years, I have witnessed peaks and troughs of decibels, noise, um, attention, focusing on disparities in a cyclical manner. Um, I acknowledge that the national conversation today is the loudest and most intense that I've ever heard. But I am concerned that understanding that this is a long game, the genesis of health disparities in US medicine has occurred because of some very deliberate systemic drivers that have been put in place over centuries. So to dismantle that body of structure will not be done in six months, it won't be done in one year. It is going to require a coordinated effort across all society, both within the health sector, outside the health sector, across corporate America, engaging political advocacy or coming together to solve this problem. Let me jump on this part of the political advocacy. You know, I, I really do believe that policy drives action. You know, policy sets the tone, it becomes the law of the nation, and then people ideally are in compliance with the law. Uh, I, I'm, I'm starting to wonder whether leadership companies need to step forward and say, you know what, there's a lot of um, political swirl going on right now in this nation. 
and and perhaps as forward thinking um, companies that actually have our employees' best interests at heart, we we need to reach down and start to activate on what is right. We we need to uh, speak to some of these. I'll call them what they are injustices. And we need to make sure that our employee community gets the care that they need and figure that out. Am I being too tough on the system or, or, or too impatient, uh, you know, or both, but I, I'm, I'm wondering because you and I have both been advocates of public health initiatives. Both of us have been involved with the American Heart Association and leadership roles, and we know what's at stake. This isn't a theoretical issue. This is a life and death issue for people. And, and I've seen it going on for certainly decades and decades in my own life. So perhaps my impatience is, is based on the fact that um, people are still dying from heart disease. People are still at risk for stroke. People are still uh, you know, sort of tipping into type 2 diabetes. And, and I see much of this is preventable. So uh, if government isn't able to act or um, isn't acting fast enough, what are the alternatives? The, the, the best alternative is to develop a, an understanding as to what the moral obligation of a country should be in regards to providing access to healthcare in a consistent manner for those who cannot afford it, those who are disabled, the elderly, the homeless, in a manner that enables them to derive the benefits from population health. Now, it is clear that employers in the United States provide a large percentage of healthcare coverage for the working force, and that Medicare provides for the elderly. Medicaid provides for the disabled and those under the poverty line. But there's a gap. It is paradoxical and somewhat embarrassing, if not horrifying, that we haven't as a country been able to muster the political courage to do what the rest of the world has done if they can afford to do so in the Western world, which is not to pro- not necessarily provide Medicare for all, but provide coverage for those that are disenfranchised. We need to develop that political activism that pushes the envelope such that we accept that. Absent of that happening, and part of the conversation going on now is that corporate America is asking questions as to how can this be happening in 2021, in 2020, 2021? How is it possible that the richest nation in the world is having these glaring disparities play out real time 24 7, 365 days in the year, as we have seen in COVID 19? It doesn't make sense to rational thinking people. It makes sense only to people who want to maintain the status quo for specific reasons. So I see a duality of purpose in in answering your question. The government has a responsibility for healthcare coverage for those that can't afford it. If the government continues to fail to do that, maybe now big business is going to step up and prod this whole process in the right direction and hold our people accountable. Here you have, uh, you're really an outstanding clinician. You know, I, I, you're in this ENY chief medical officer role, which places you in this 
very significant role in our society. You know, Ernst & Young is really one of the nation's leading light companies in terms of uh, the financial health of corporate well-being and providing insight to corporations. You're an outstanding cardiologist. You have played a role beyond population health and public health. You have been a researcher, a clinician. You're you're now in this corporate role, which gives you louder voice. And I'm I'm sometimes wondering who inside companies owns health. In other words, we I sometimes see human resources owns health or the, the office of the chief financial officer owns health because it's such a huge cost in terms of the set budget of major corporations. It's probably after the labor force uh, salaries, it's probably within that buildup, one of the largest costs that corporations have to deal with. And it, it's not getting smaller. Now, as, as we kind of age, we need more medications. We need more medical care. I imagine the payers are saying, look, um, it costs us more to manage your workforce. Therefore, the bill is shifting or your, your workforce is taking more medications. Many major corporations are self-insured. So they've got to figure out how to play with the bundle of services offered or pass some of the costs on to the employees in different ways. So they limit the services or they pass costs along or they, they shop for other alternatives. You know, I might be naive here, but wouldn't it be less expensive to invest in educating people within a large corporate environment? What is healthy diet or even providing access to healthy diet or what's healthy diet at home? In other words, wouldn't it be less expensive in the long haul for corporations to say, you know, aside from providing this expensive benefit, why don't we change the dialogue with our employees and try to educate people about what are calories? What are healthy calories? What are fruits and vegetables? Let's look at the lunches in our corporate sponsored cafeteria. Uh, now, from your vantage point, you're not just chief medical officer of a major corporation. You're kind of the chief public health officer for corporations that, that look to EY as sort of a guiding light. Um, could, you, could you sort of define, would you be comfortable defining your role and the influence that you're now having for the good of many companies to understand they are in the health business? Uh, very excellent points, and I am 100% aligned with pretty much every, pretty much everything you just said. With COVID-19, the realization in corporate America that directly or indirectly, especially businesses outside of the health sector, they've come to a realization that directly or indirectly, they are in the business of healthcare for the very reasons that you just mentioned. The rising costs of healthcare coverage is a significant line item for businesses in America. And the rising costs continue, appear to be unabated. So there's now shifting risks within corporate America to high deductible plans that consumers are now exposed to. I think philosophically, I'll answer your question in the following manner. Businesses have been used to looking at healthcare costs as expenses. Some businesses are now beginning to shift and to pivot to looking at healthcare costs as an investment. Investment in the business, investment in workforce resiliency, understanding that a more resilient workforce is a more productive workforce, and by so doing, drives more predictable long-term value to the business. That's a significant shift. Now, it is also true that businesses do provide education 
to their workforces. But for the most part, and I'm talking from the insight I've gleaned, talking to several clients across multiple industries, many businesses feel that their responsibility stops by providing the healthcare coverage and then providing resources on their intranets or communication channels by print media. What, what businesses are now understanding is what they're grappling with is, should they go a step further to understand if their employees are actually engaged with these resources that they are being provided? Are the, the connectivity channels to get to these intranets, are they user-friendly? And I've seen several of these employee health programs that do have credible information, but are difficult to navigate. So user-friendliness is one. More importantly, does the business have a responsibility for the business to understand which people, which employees are using the resources and those that aren't using them, why aren't they using them? If, for example, you can tell that 10% of your workforce has not had a physical examination in five years. That should be a red flag. But now transitioning from the expense aspect of the lens to the investment aspect of the lens, incorporating privacy concerns is generating a lot of dialogue. But I can tell you, Gil, that the more visionary and innovative companies are now beginning to look at this as a corporate responsibility to ensure that they create comfortable user-friendly environments for health education on the consumer side, on the work, on the employee side, but also understanding if, if there's visibility in those that are putting themselves at individual risk and secondarily the workforce at secondary risk. This is uh, this part of our exchange. I'll tell you is, is priceless. It's precious. And the, uh, the words I think you've just shared uh, I think are words that every CEO should be listening to right now and gain perspective strategically on what they're doing to be a best place to work. And we all talk about how we want to be a best place to work and inspired employees produce insp- sort of like exceptional results. Well, healthy employees actually are inspired employees who produce exceptional results. And I think you provided wise counsel. I, I, I want to return to something we were talking about before, which is health disparities and racial inequities. And, and I'm, I'm going to also deal with food insecurity for a second. Um, I, I grew up in a, um, in a, a relatively poor area of, of the country. I remember my father had a small struggling business and, um, and many people from the community, often black Americans would cross the street to my father's place of business. There was a candy machine there. There was a soda machine there. And at the time, it didn't strike me. Today, of course, I'm profoundly affected by it. My memory is young people crossing the street with uh, quarters in hand to buy a candy bar and a cola and going off. And that was their breakfast, a, a very unhealthy breakfast. And, um, you know, obviously at that time, candy machines and soda machines were also located in all schools. Uh, today, of course, thanks to the American Heart Association and other great health groups, um, uh, manufacturers realize that's just not suitable. It's not appropriate. But but all the same, we're, we're dealing with uh, a nation where there is food insecurity. And my, my question is, 
who's responsible? I'm not saying saying anybody in particular is responsible, but who's responsible for understanding that food insecurity among the elderly or among the 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 struggling, the economically struggling, is a public health issue. It's not just access to medicines. It's not just awareness about the signs and symptoms of illness. It's the basic infrastructure of survival or sustenance that actually creates this domino effect that invites illness into our homes. So I've I've always believed that, that poverty is a tipping point to despair, disease, and death. And ultimately, I'm, I'm sort of wondering, how do we get our arms around this as a society? We're actually, we're actually sowing the seeds of illness as we go on. I mean, what's, what's your advice to us? Well, you speak about the social determinants of health when you talk about food insecurity. And as you well know, you, you, you can add the, the issues of, of housing insecurity, um, educational disparities, financial opportunities for financial literacy and for health literacy that are all driven by social determinants of health, the adverse impacts of social determinants of health. Because if you have a good exposure to SDOHs, if you have good educational opportunity, have a nurturing home environment based on where you live and your your societal community resources. You have access to schools. You develop health literacy. Uh, you can you're better positioned to develop financial literacy, and by so doing, you're better positioned to understand the benefits of a healthy diet. You're better positioned to be able to afford a healthy diet. So you're talking about the SDOHs, but what many people don't understand is that the social determinants of health are in place today because of of what's now coined as the political determinants of health. The political determinants of health that have resulted in segregated neighborhoods that are more prone to be exposed to environmental pollution that has its own whole set of risk potential, cardiac risk, pulmonary risk. That's just one aspect. Segregated communities that have lack of resources for education and transportation, um, lack of resources to healthcare facilities. So we need to understand that what we're seeing today is the product of a system that has been put in place and that has, despite changes in the civil rights acts over the years, where you have difficulties with minorities getting loans purchase homes very deliberately set up to keep populations where they are and to keep a societal structure the way it is. Until we deal with those fundamentals, we're talking in a circular manner because fundamentally we need to begin to understand that we should embrace humanity. Embracing humanity moves the needle for all humanity. If there's illness in our communities, Ultimately, it seeps out of those communities to the broader community, as we're seeing with the, vaccine, with, with the COVID-19. I was just thinking about that right now. Yes. So we, we cannot be insulated in the United States. Or the world. From what's happening in the world. We can't. And from a microcosm within the United States, what we are seeing now is a product of what has been established. So... 
until we take that step back to realize that this can be done where society benefits for all, society benefits for all, and we now are in a place where we deliver value within the healthcare system, where we have codifiable outcomes that drive population health, not necessarily at the cheapest cost, but at the best cost. And it's been done in other countries. You were talking about um, humanity, our recognition that we're all, ultimately we are connected. And, you know, I've been writing frequently that for some reason, we seem to forget that we're in the midst of a pandemic. And it is not the developed nations or, you know, first and then the developing nations, unless we look at the planet as part of a holistic community, we're going to be continuing to go through these cycles of variance. And I was listening yesterday to the the um, the president of, of South Africa and the World Health Organization saying, look, closing off South Africa to the world is not the solution to resolve the, the variant problems. And yet I'm, I understand how few people in some of the African nations have been vaccinated and how challenging we're making access to vaccination or vaccines um, in those parts of the world. I'm, I'm, I'm really taken aback by how little the world is focusing on, um, on sub-Sahara Africa when it comes to access to vaccination. Um, you know, you know. I know that you study all this from a global basis. I know that your responsibilities for EY are predominantly North America. But having been in conversation with you many times before, both on podcasts or, or webinars and also exchanging emails, I know how passionate you are about the topic of of global of global health. Um, could you talk a little bit about some of the problems you see in terms of vaccination, both in this nation and in, in other nations where we're not doing enough to make vaccines accessible and inviting those countries into the process so that they have access to care? And I know that, you know, this is a, um, you know, many of these companies are making vaccines and charging for the vaccines. Um, but some of these, and some of these nations are hard pressed to afford vaccines. And yet we're, we're not realizing that we're not investing in our own health. Well, it's been done before, you know, polio vaccines, smallpox vaccines, there've been vaccinations, there've been global vaccination programs that have worked. So it's been done before. Now, understanding that of vaccine manufacturing companies are in the commercialization of products to make a profit, that's understandable. But there are several opportunities to provide financial support to the rest of the world, not just from a social imperative, but because it does protect global health. Um, and, and it's also from a political and from a stereotypical perspective, it is very convenient to label Africa as the source of evil or the source of illness. I mean, Southern Africa, South Africa has very sophisticated um, professionals that are managing COVID trajectories in that country. So they have been very proactive in, in letting the world know this is, this is correct. 
Now, what, what's happening now is there are several countries where this new variant has been identified. But the only countries, the first countries that were, were, had these travel bans were all in, in Africa. So it's convenient to reinforce that negative stereotype. It's a stereotype that is inaccurate to our global perspectives. I was born in West Africa. And the messaging about Africa generally in the Western world, uniformly negative, uniformly negative. There is negativity everywhere in the world, but there's much more in Africa than mainstream media cares to understand and cares to disseminate factually. I'll just pick up on something you said earlier about uh, my role uh, at EY. So I do have an internal aspect to my role and an external aspect to my role. And part of my evolving internal aspect is to mature the thinking that I just described to you is to help us understand how we can better optimize the utilization of healthcare resources within our workforce and to provide the business with a better understanding as to the health of our people. You mentioned public health. Now, I'm chief medical officer, and we actually do have a chief public health officer at EY. And that was a deliberate strategy that one of my colleagues and myself, and her name is Susan Garfield, who is a public health professional, not a medical doctor, but a doctor of public health, where we came together with the understanding that we have public health competencies at EY, we have healthcare delivery competencies at EY, we need to form a leadership partnership between healthcare delivery and public health so that we speak with one voice. And you've been in this space for quite a while. You have witnessed over the past four years the misalignment of messaging coming out from our public health leadership, intentionally or unintentionally, and not aligned with our medical leadership. Our systems must no longer be fragmented. Our approach must be aligned, must be efficient, and must be factual. So we're proud at EY, but our approach to this is to have a chief medical officer and a chief public health officer co-directing the EY Center for Health Equity. Dr. Aluko, it is always an honor to be in conversation with you. And I know that you are the chief medical officer and there's a chief public health officer. I, One of the reasons I enjoy so much speaking with you is I'm looking forward to the day when you are Secretary of Health and Human Services. <laughs> and you have not only the, the experience and clout of having been a leader at EY, but also you can take all your clinical knowledge and your public health knowledge and impact the health of not only this station, but the world. You are already, you are already, I want to, I just want to reinforce that your wisdom and your thoughts, the energy you bring to every conversation is invaluable. You know, I think that, that all who work with you are really uh, privileged to learn from you as well. I appreciate your kind words. And it's my privilege to work at EY. We believe in our ethos of building a better working world. And certainly my privilege to know you, Gil, and to have met you, Greg, and to participate uh, using your platform to amplify these very critically important messages. And that's a wrap for today's broadcast. We want to thank our listeners for taking the time to tune in. You can learn more about Health Unabashed on the program page at healthcarenowradio.com. We stream live weekdays at 2.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. Eastern, or for you left coasters, 11.30 p.m., 7.30 a.m., or 3.30 p.m. Pacific.
For previous on-demand episodes, check out the show's page on healthcarenowradio.com. And let's keep the conversation going with Gil and me on Twitter by connecting with us at Gil underscore Bash, that's B-A-S-H-E, and Greg Masters MPH, and that's Greg with two Gs, or follow the hashtag at HealthUnabashed. Until next time, stay unapologetically passionate about improving health. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. Eighteen plus.